The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hello. It is Monday, May 2nd, 2022. It's finally May. Thank God. April felt like it was never going to end. If you aren't in the transfer portal by now, though, buddy, you are stuck. (laughs) <laughs> for at least another year because wasn't the deadline yesterday i think we're going to get news for the next couple of days because school compliance departments aren't required to enter the names into the portal officially for at least 48 hours these transfer sagas are not quite done yet but if you haven't gotten your papers in yet sorry if you if you're stuck don't worry uh you still got the cover three podcast to listen to and we are danny you might you all this over the weekend we are the only college football podcast out there that is an official sponsor of a 12 and under softball team so go slammers uh I, i'm tom fernelli he's danny cannell but elliot is either still on a plane heading towards nashville or he's landed from a plane in nashville either way he's going to meetings maybe those meetings are with high-powered attorneys that we've hired to help us free chip patterson from prison maybe not we're not really at liberty to say but chip if you're listening during your one hour of free time in the yard i suppose know that we love you and uh, we are trying our hardest on today's show we are going to discuss the jordan addison situation speaking of transfers and all that stuff but not so much jordan addison in particular but we're going to use that story as an impetus to discuss what's going on with nil and basically pay for play at large what's happening what worries us what do we think the future of all this is going to look like what would we like to see change all that kind of fun stuff we'll also go over the nfl draft but not from like the this team gets an a or this was a you know a reach kind of perspective just more from the college football perspective of things because this is a college football podcast but uh before we do any of that danny i know you were in vegas all weekend covering the draft but i just have one question for you I, do you really think chip killed that drifter and if he did <laughs> Do you think the drifter at least deserved it? <laughs> Probably. I'll go yes and yes. Those will be my answers. <laughs> so will effort. We, and hopefully we'll get him back on here soon once all those charges clear and everything gets back. But it, I have a feeling we'll get it done sooner rather than later. But it's good to be back. It's good to be back home in one piece. I will say this. I, um, I'm going to take every bet 
uh, of the teams against the Las Vegas Golden Knights because, you know, there's the South Beach flu in the NBA. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a – I have a little bit of the uh, Las Vegas flu uh, coming in today after way too many nights of fun. But I think it was four nights I was in Las Vegas. Uh, missed my flight home, which is always fun. Um, it was a blast. It was fun. But I'm and I probably hadn't been to Las Vegas in about five years. I think I'm good for the next five years as well. Four nights is a long time to be in Las Vegas. A long time. But then you I, start looking for stuff to do, and that's how you end up at a Tiesto concert at 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, you know, the day before you're supposed to go home. That's how that happens. So, but it was fun. It was a good time, and the draft. I thought it was pretty entertaining. I mean, what, I, we didn't. There was, you know, there's this debate because I saw the ratings were down mm-hmm. for the draft. I'm like, well, it seems like the ratings for everything is going to fluctuate at times. I get there wasn't the star power, maybe, of the question, where's the Trevor Lawrence going to go? I mean, even though you knew he was going to go number one, maybe it lacked some star power. But I thought the drama was there uh, with the quarterbacks dropping the trades, the record-setting trades that took mm-hmm. place. I thought there was a ton of drama. I thought it was really fun. I don't know. Not, I was working it. So it kind of, I was talking to myself into making it feel fun, maybe, but I still thought it was a pretty entertaining draft. And I'll say this uh, I checked out of the four through seven rounds. Like those are me. Just to tell me, just show me where everybody fell. Right. <laughs> just look like, at the just, list afterwards. Yeah. Just give me the list and we'll go down that one. I don't know if the need for, and, and clearly Las Vegas echoed that sentiment because it was dead. 9 a.m. start Saturday morning. <laughs> Not a whole lot of people fired up to take that in person. See, I watched on Saturday simply because, like, I, my, draft processes you know obviously during the season when i'm watching these games i'm watching them from the perspective of what we need for the show what i need for writing but i'm also kind of you know i'll pick players that i want to just pay some closer attention to and i'll follow them and i'll take notes and i'll do all that stuff but then like my evaluation process doesn't really begin until after the season so it's like that's when i'll just go back and watch certain players on you know tapes like there's certain websites you can find you know games online and I watched on Saturday simply because I spend so much time watching players that I really don't need to because, like, the draft is not my job. Right. I, right. I do I do mocks because they I do enough where they're like, hell yeah, we'll take some mocks. But it's not my job. But I just get so into it that I watch on Saturday just because I want to be like, yeah, I like that guy. That's a good pick. Right. <laughs> totally. You get it. Players come you little favorites. You find them. Maybe yeah. you did a little extra research on them. And you start mm-hmm. wondering where they're going to go. It's awesome. I Bailey Zappi was that guy for me. And I was, you know, the Patriots took him there in a spot. He was ahead of Sam Howell, I believe, if my uh, recollection yeah. is correct. Like, he was a quarterback. I thought, man, this dude, Joe Burrow had the most impressive season statistically until Bailey Zappi did it. I thought no one would top what Joe Burrow did. Uh, and he did it with less games. So that was a player I was really excited to see happen. But, yeah, you you kind of start watching players, start rooting for him. And I don't know about how you felt. It felt like maybe this is why – the mock drafts had him so high, but it felt like people just wanted Malik Willis to be this transcendent talent that was going to be developed. Now I compared him to Josh Alex. I thought there were similarities playing at smaller schools, struggle on tape, but the upside would be there. And then what to watch him drop all the way to Tennessee in the third round was probably, I mean, that to me was one of the more remarkable stories of the draft uh, and somebody like, and, but I wonder, I go back and like how, how could the mocks get it so wrong? Not only with him, but all the quarterbacks. And maybe that's one of the reasons. I also think that we just assumed, like has happened in the past 10 years, that teams would just overdraft. And I think the teams, I mean, I was 
pretty blunt on here about what I thought about the draft class. Clearly, the teams felt the same way. And they were like, we are just not going to reach on these guys. It was almost like they got together and were like, all right, you don't take them, I won't take them. Or as more teams passed on them, they're probably confirming their bias, saying, man, I can't believe Carolina didn't take them, Atlanta didn't take them, Seattle didn't take them. Mm-hmm. Now it's the second round, and you get the first. Like, they didn't, like, and you just keep watching these quarterbacks drop, and you're like, all right, if they, no one loves them, maybe there's something to it. Yeah, I think it's just a situation where it's like, if you love a guy, you're going to overpay for him in the draft because it's like, well, it's a pretty important position. So if this is the guy we actually love, we got to do everything we can. And then in this class, there was just nobody that anybody really loved. So they weren't going to overpay for him. And I think another aspect to it, too, is like there were a lot of trades in the first round on Thursday night, but a lot of them involved players. Or, right. you know what I mean? So, like, there weren't really teams trading up a whole bunch of spots to grab a quarterback. There were AJ Brown's getting traded, you know, uh, Marquise Brown's getting traded. But, like, when the Patriots took Cole Strange at the end of the first, everybody was like, what the hell are they doing? I think that was just simply a case of the Patriots probably knew they could get him in the second or third round and they wanted to trade back. But there was just no market to trade back because no team was willing to overpay for any of these quarterbacks. So the Patriots probably said, well, screw it. We want him. So we'll just take him here because nobody else is going to make our pick and there's nobody else here that we really want. So I think that played a role in it too, where guys were just dropping because nobody was willing to move up to get him. And at that point, it's like, well, shoot, it's pretty clear. Nobody else is really all that enthusiastic about any of these guys. So we could probably just not take them and we could wait even longer and still get them later, which I think is what happened for a lot of them. But it stinks for the kids that were there. And it stinks for players like N'Kobe Dean too, who was, I feel like was the more mysterious kind of drop, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, another big story over the weekend, obviously Jordan Addison, the news breaks. Like, I think it was Thamel who had it first. I can't remember who said it first, but it was, you know, there, all the rumors start coming out that Jordan Addison is going to USC, you know, NIL, whatever you want to phrase it. But like he wasn't even in the portal yet. <laughs> so it starts all this thing and it starts the debate because it's what we've seen. And again, I don't want to just go into Jordan Addison specifically, but obviously it's, you know, tampering like teams or agents, whoever are representing the players, whoever are representing the teams are doing these things, you know, behind closed doors that we kind of knew was happening and was going to happen. But for it to be so brazen now to where it's getting like the NBA where you leak it to get it out there. So I don't know if Jordan Addison is like negotiating in public between USC and Pitt and just that's his way of letting Pitt know, Hey, if you want to keep me, you're going to have to, you know, pay up to do it we've got pat narduzzi reportedly calling lincoln riley trying to get him on the phone to yell at him for stuff but more than anything like what the hell is going on and what the hell are we going to do about it that those are two great questions i can give you the answer to the first one what the hell what the hell is going on because that one's pretty easy you're seeing teams that want to win they'll do whatever it takes and you're seeing te- uh, players go to the highest bidder What do we do about it? I have no idea. And that's the scary (laughs) part because no one has the solution to this. And until we get a solution, this is just going to continue. Mm -hmm. I'll say this because I see see Eddie in the chat uh, trolling me here, a USC fan, because I was pretty vocal about this. This has zero to be about USC. Like I I could care less if USC uh, is, is the team that it is. This to me, and I think this is the way, this is why it wasn't only me reacting, but a lot of people reacted this way. Is because this one felt different. Not that it's illegal or more illegal than another one or, or questionably ethically than other ones. It just felt different. 
because of a couple things. Like most of the time, you can kind of connect the dots. And you can be like, well, yeah, well, that player is disgruntled. Uh, he wasn't getting playing time, was on a bad program, elevating somewhere else. This is the best wide receiver in the country, by the way, which, which a draft we just saw three go, you know, in the top 15 picks back to back to back. This is the best one that's going. Um, and you saw him leave a great situation on a team that's building something that was in pit. It was just coming off an ACC championship and a playing in a New Year's six game and has already kind of assured his team. He was going back. I mean, I just talked to Pat Narduzzi last week and asked him about this. And he's like, man, he's like, it was so frustrating. He's like, we had 10 to 12 teams coming after Jordan Addison, but we dealt with it, which I'm assuming means we lined him up with some NIL deals and he was good. And then USC swoops up and they're the highest bidder and they come and steal him away from him. So you've got this all this confluence of events and it all happens. And it's after it just it feels like this was the one that kind of pushed everybody over the top. If it would have been another school, it would have been the same reaction. If Jordan Addison would have went to Bama, would have went to Georgia, would have went to Ohio State, wherever he would have went, the fashion with which it unfolded, which as you mentioned, before the transfer portal, before he was in there, the tampering, like the recruiting that was going on behind the closed doors, that to me just felt like the tipping point why everybody because I get I get USC fans being like hey everyone's doing it why mm -hmm. is this the one I think this is just kind of the tipping point because of the caliber of the player and the way it's unfolded kind of last minute and it was on a big weekend like the fact that it was on the draft weekend I think probably amplified it a little bit too yeah, I think it was kind of a there's a snowball aspect to it but like I think, you know, first of all, I want to say the fact that there are USC fans who are now vocal enough to think that the media is just against them, I think is yeah. great for college football. They're because, back. Yes. They are truly good, back. Because we have been missing that from this sport. Like, you don't, a program's not really back until a fan base thinks that the media hates them. So USC is finally back. Awesome. Glad to hear it. But the one narrative I've seen from a lot of USC fans over the weekend was like, well, you didn't care when Jameer Gibbs did it to go to Alabama or Eli Ricks. And it's like, I have no doubt in my mind that Jameer Gibbs got money to leave Georgia Tech to go to Alabama. I have no doubt in my mind that Eli Ricks got money to leave LSU to go to Alabama. But they were in the transfer portal, and it wasn't negotiated publicly. That's the difference between the Jordan Addison situation and those situations. Jordan Addison or somebody on Jordan Addison's behalf is negotiating for him publicly through the media, which is a very NBA, NFL kind of thing. And that is why college football is kind of responding to it differently because it's like, whoa, okay, this is kind of just what it is now. And it's weird and it's scary. But I also think that the fact that it's coming on the back of like the Miami stuff where transfers are like in basketball, they're going to Miami and they're announcing it with like the sponsor in the tweet. So that's happening a couple of days before. And now then you're getting all the reporters saying Jordan Addison strongly considering USC, not in the portal yet. So it's very clear what's going on. It's a negotiation. And it's just one of those things where the reason I think college football fans and media, some of them are concerned about it is because there is no regulation. We, we have no idea what the hell is going to happen. Somebody's going to get screwed out of it. Somebody always ends up getting screwed out of it. Obviously, the fan bases that are losing a player feel like they're getting screwed out of it. But it's a situation where we've seen, like, this is something that has been coming for the last, 
I don't know, decade. Like, you know, the writing's been on the wall for a while. And we talked about it with the Mark Emmert situation last week with him stepping down. The NCAA kind of just chose, like Mark Emmert, I think at first tried to get ready for it, but the presidents and the schools that really do run the NCAA kind of just told them that, you know, no, we're just going to close our eyes and we're going to ignore it and we'll deal with it if we have to deal with it and just hope it goes away. And it didn't go away and it happened. And now it's kind of the Wild West. And I do think that at some point things, there's going to be some kind of equilibrium that's found. I also wonder, like, if just, I wonder if there's a happy medium between scholarship and employee. Like a scholarship right now, if you think about it, is a contract. Like there are certain, uh, like when you sign a scholarship, there are certain things expected of you from the school. And there are certain things expected of from the player of the school. There's that you go into an agreement. I'm not a lawyer. Bud's not here. Again, he's trying to get Chip out of prison. But I would like to, I, I just wonder if there is an aspect where instead of having quote unquote scholarships, when players choose to attend a school they just kind of sign a contract and it's not like an employment contract it's nothing like that it's like i think if you know in this industry when i first started doing this and getting paid i was a freelancer like i had in my contract i could write for you and you would pay me based on what i did and then if i wanted to leave i had no you know real connection so maybe there's like freelancer scholarships and then maybe there's you know like you know we have preferred walk-ons maybe there's like a preferred scholarship it's like okay you're coming to our school this is what's going to happen as long as you are here. You are free to transfer as the rules dictate. But if you do transfer, this is what happens. This is what we no longer have to do. This is what you have to do. And maybe like we see something where, <laughs> I don't see this is going to where it gets different because you're going to need a union or of some sort. You're going to need some sort of body on behalf of the players, at least arguing for them. But like maybe like, you know, like NFL teams have like franchise ca- like designations. You could franchise a player. Yeah. Maybe college is that American? Teams, is that American? Like you know, here comes but, the, the court system. Can you it, make them stay? Yeah, you get a, a school has a decision. Like, and the player has to agree to it. You could franchise tag a player. You get up to five franchise tags on your roster, right? That player gets a minimum salary. It's going to be at least a million dollars a year. We'll figure that out what it is. But you get to designate five players who that salary. If that player then wants to transfer, not only do they have to. You know, they, they could transfer, they can go to the school, get whatever they want, but the school that takes them has to recompense the school so that they're taking them from somehow. Not in player trade, but whether it's financial or some other way. I, I don't know. There's got to be some kind of medium that we could come to where they are getting paid, but there's ways to get around the whole trying to figure out how to unionize thousands upon thousands of players across the country in different conferences with different rules. And I think maybe... It's not going to happen until the NCAA is dead and the Power Five just breaks away and forms its own thing. Right. See, that's, that's I think, this purgatory that we're in. Everybody's kind of waiting for the next big shoe to drop, mm-hmm. which I think is exactly what you said. There's a break-off, a super league, super conference, whatever you want to call it. Is it 30, 40, 50? Is it 60 teams? Somewhere in that number, which is a very big number, but I think that just speaks to the uncertainty of where we live right now in college football. But until then... I don't know. I love your idea. I think it's a great idea. See, I'm mad at myself because I think I was really wrong on NIL. I really do. Because I bought in. And you've known me long enough to at least I've expressed it on here where I've kind of evolved to a place Mm -hmm. where I never wanted to have the players employees. And I still really don't, although I think it's inevitable because I neither do I. (laughs) It's the courts have decided. So I'm like, and I think all along my my mindset has kind of been like, I guess we'll see. And now we're starting to see 
what's unfolding. But where I was wrong on NIL is I thought it was the compromise to paying the players because you could still keep the amateur model intact and yet players who were who did appear exploited. Like, why can't somebody go earn money if they are famous and have built a brand and they, you know, cannot go get an endorsement deal? Like, that does not sound American. So I was like, that'll solve a lot of the problem. But where I was wrong, and I also, also, I'll be fully transparent with you. I also thought it was like, good, it's about time because players have been getting paid under the table forever. We've all known it. Tell me any national champion over the last decade that hasn't been paying players under the table and it's frustrating and all these pointing fingers and, you know, these accusations. Good. Let's get it out in the open. Let's see some of the money that's out there and let's let the players have it. And it'll kind of be above board. So I would, that's where I bought in. I was like, all right, these players will be able to make money where I was so wrong is how, and I knew it would play a part in recruiting. I didn't, I mean, we are not even a year out and it has quickly gone from payment from an image and likeness to not even iota of it as about name image and likeness it is all about pay for play which is where we are and then there's problems with that because the mod like the system isn't set up to handle that from a fairness perspective like we're just supposed to ask people to do the right thing like good luck with that and so like for like and i see a lot of people say well coaches can hop around now the players are just doing the same well, when Lincoln Riley goes to USC, USC has to pay Oklahoma mm-hmm. four and a half million bucks. When Pitt, you know, spends money, there's, there is money that is spent on players, whether it's the scholarship, yeah. it's medical, it's physical, Housing, it's training, feeding. There's, yeah, there's training. a lot that goes into what they spent. And I get it's not anywhere near to what Jordan Addison is worth and he's going to get money. But Pitt is sit there left with nothing. They don't get a five-star scholarship in return. They don't get a buyout. They don't get anything. And so that's just another problem where we have to resolve or figure out something. And I love your idea. This is the first time I've heard anybody say it. Because if Pitt, clearly, if they could have franchise tagged somebody, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he becomes an immediate you know, million-dollar-a-year player, whatever it is, then he, he's locked and he can't leave unless maybe there's a buyback or maybe another school can outbid him and pay them something in compensation but until we get to then we're going to still be in this unknown where you're going to see players poached from schools and it's just it's not good for college football are you why if does anybody push back i haven't seen many people push back the only pushback i've seen is from a couple people are like yeah it's not great but who cares the players were exploited so good for them they're getting paid now who cares and i have seen that from some football writers i'm like great good to see you concerned about the future of the sport but that is a mindset that's out there. Like, is there any spin you could see on this where this is good for the game? I don't think it's, I, I, I don't know if it's bad for the game. I don't think it's good for the game. I just think it's kind of a change that we're going to have to get used to and things are going to be different. And my concern is like, I, they, the players have never gotten, at least not since TV became, the driving factor in this sport. Like you could argue for a very long time, the players were getting a pretty great deal out of it. But when once TV became what TV is and the value, honestly, like I know the prices of we're going to, this isn't football, but I, I know the prices of college educations have increased, but the value of them have decreased because we kind of just colleges for the most part have become degree mills where like they just shuttle you in, shuttle you out, give you the piece of paper and then they accept your cash and move on. They don't really care if they've taught you anything. And now that everybody has a degree, having it's not 
worth quite as much as it used to be. But anyways, we're getting off subject. I just worry that like the connection that a lot of fans have with college football, like as cheesy as it might be to some, it is like whether if you went to the school, there's always going to be that connection where it's like, all right, well, we were all students there. And even if you played for the football team and I was just, you know, an English major, we went to the same school, we walked the same hall. So there's kind of a kinship with that. And I think you're going to lose that for sure. And I think you've already kind of started to lose that. I feel like players in all this major sports have kind of been separated from the rest of the student population for a while. But I just think that the more professionalized the sport gets overall, I worry about how attractive it will be to fans because I think one of the aspects of college football that has always been very attractive to a large portion of fans is that it's not the NFL. It's not sanitized. It's not everybody's doing the same thing. It's like there there are different traditions, there are different ways, and it's supposed to be about loyalty perceived or not. But I feel like that kind of facade could just completely go away. And I wonder if the, how that's going to impact the way that people like future generations look at the sport and as far as the health of it long term. I don't think the actual game is going to change too much. I feel like the relationship with the fans is probably what's going to be impacted more than anything. And I don't know how that's going to go. Maybe maybe right now things are just really, really, really crazy because there was no regulations put in place. The NCAA was asleep at the wheel the whole time. And then you get that combined with COVID. So now there's all these guys with extra years of eligibility who are like, hey, I can go get paid now so everybody's just jumping everybody's going nuts and maybe three or four years from now a lot of these maybe booster or nil kind of collectives are gonna be like whoa 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 um i i really dipped into my 401k for this and i've gotten nothing but a nine and three season and i just don't know (laughs) if i want to do that again i mean it was awesome felt really powerful for a time but long story i'm not it's not the greatest thing so we'll probably see things calm down a little bit but there just has to be some kind of rules and i know that like everybody wants to go to the wild west because it's like well the players were exploited for so long they should have that but like there's no part of society in any aspect in which there aren't somebody has to follow some rules and just because you are you deserve rights and you get rights that doesn't give you the right to everything and there is no area in the world in which we all anybody has the right to anything that they want So I feel like you've got to cap it off somewhere. And I think that's why just that idea I had where it's like you can franchise players. And to be clear, you can't franchise a player that's not willing to be franchised. It's not like the NFL where you could just put the tag on him and that guy's stuck with you for another year. And it's, but he's getting paid a ton. It's like, if the player agrees to it, it's just like the scholarship. It's like, all right, this is the contract. You're locked in. You agreed to it of free mind, will, and body and soul. Your lawyer went over it. Your agent went over it. It's good. It's done. If you want to do it, awesome. You're going to get this. If you don't, cool. But you're not going to have the same perks as other players on your team. So I, th- there's got to be something to it. We'll figure it out. Somebody much smarter than us probably will be able to do it. It's just, will you be able to get everybody in the same room to agree to it? That's going to be the difficult part. And that's why I think that it's really not going to happen until we see the Power Five or the Autonomous Five or whatever the heck they're calling themselves just break free and become their own little thing. And then who knows what happens with everybody else. And I feel like that could be a dangerous thing for the sport because I do like for me personally, one of the, my favorite parts of college football are the smaller schools, the guys that aren't really getting 
you know, the national attention. They're not competing for national titles. Nobody really, the, the television ratings for their games aren't that great. But on Tuesday night, I love watching some Mac football, some Sunbelt football, some Mountain West. I love watching those games because it's still, it's fun. It's different. It doesn't look like everybody else, even if the talent or the competition isn't as strong as you might see in the NFL or in the Power Five conferences. There's still enjoyment out of it. Like there is, like if you go around the country, like in the high schools in certain states, high school football is huge. And nobody's going to argue that, you know, the the class of football is great. Like for the most part, it's usually a few good teams and a lot of bad teams just getting mollywopped Saturday or Friday after Friday, but you still enjoy it because of the connection to the school, your neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. And I just worry that the more professional college gets, you're going to start to lose that. And you're going to start to lose interest from some fans who are thinking, well, I'll just watch the NFL. I mean, this is just an NFL minor league now. And I wonder, cause I think there'll probably still be an existence of the amateur model. Maybe. You know, maybe they're still, and maybe the Mac is one of those, you know, conferences that can't afford to pay. And there's an agreement. It's, Hey, here we are. I'll say this. I worry about the fans passion, but I also worry about the players too, because, and I think, and this is one of those things where I think just money ruins everything. You know, money's a great thing, but I think, you know, I've talked a lot of this about with former players, like guys that I played with and then like the mindset, the shift in Mm -hmm. mindset in a college locker room going to an NFL locker room is dramatic. Like it is a shock to the system. And I think it's less dramatic now than it was 20 years ago, but you quickly realize it is work and you Mm -hmm. go and you punch in and you punch out. And if you win, you win. And if you lose, you lose, you're still getting your check. And when you lose in college, at least a program like I was at Florida state, it was devastating and got it like tore your heart out. It was gut wrenching because you knew what it meant. And every week you went out there and put your body on the line and guys played it. A lot of guys knew they weren't going to go to the NFL. A lot of them thought they would and didn't, but a lot of guys just wanted to play college football mm-hmm. and they were going to lay it all out there just for that. And, I, and it's that passion from the players, I think shows up on the field, like players laid on the line. And we've already seen it crap creep in the last five or six years with, you know, opt outs and guys, prote- you know, Hey, I want to be protected. And it's hard to blame them. I don't blame them either. Cause the money is so great. But I do wonder if it not only impacts the, the fans, but also the players and the guys that are playing it. Because it already feels like work, and you then all of a sudden it is work. And what do you do with players that aren't producing? You know, like, do they get cut? Like, it's, it's going to be a lot of changes that come out. Um, but like you, I think, and I, I really hope that the product on Saturdays doesn't change much, much. But I think inevitably it's going to, whether we like it or not. And I just hope we can hang on to some of those traditions get the players paid, keep the passion from the fans, you know, keep the competitive. Maybe that's one of the good things that'll come. Maybe there'll be more competitive balance. I mean, if, if this becomes truly professional, like can you start putting, allowing franchise tags, allowing, you know, I don't know how you're going to develop talent or pick talent. Do you get a draft? You know, is there a salary cap? Like all this stuff that needs to be collectively bargained. Like maybe that could be good. Maybe there will be, maybe Maybe there won't be four teams. We feel like can compete for the championship. Maybe it'll be deeper, which I do think would be better for the sport. Yeah. And to expand on what you said too, a little bit about the players, like it's not discussed very often, but the truth is whether it's football, baseball, softball, hockey, all these sports, there are just a lot of kids in the country right now, high schoolers who understand that they're not going to do it professionally, but just want to keep playing. Because they enjoy it. And we talk about the education aspect of going to college. Like, this is, I again, don't take this, somebody's going to take it out of context. But there is a value, like, especially now. Like, the truth is, if the pandemic 
showed us anything. It's, you know, we're very much kind of separated from everybody these days in which like now it's like going back to work in offices. A lot of companies are wondering, do we even want to have offices or just have everybody work from home? And I feel like every single technological advance kind of separates us further. Like we become connected via the computer, but we're not really interacting with people in the same kind of way that we used to. And as far as just an educational aspect, which is what college is supposed to be about, it's not just supposed to teach you teach you minutia and factoids. It's supposed to prepare you for life afterwards, like things you're going to have to do in your jobs, in your careers, just being human beings. The aspect of being on a team is something that I think is very valuable, like working for something that isn't yourself, working for something, a common goal to work together with others, having to work with people who maybe don't agree with you about certain things, maybe have different interests, all that kind of stuff. But you work together with them and you figure something out and you achieve something together or you fail fail together. And honestly, there's a lot to learn and a lot of experience gained from failing together with people, too. And if we do see this where it becomes more professionalized and we see some schools just can't afford to have it and some programs get dropped, there's going to be a lot of kids growing up that don't get those kind of experiences who will then be entering a world in which maybe they're not as well equipped to deal with what they're going to have to to succeed in life. But anyways, I feel like that's a good place to take us to our break before we can get back to uh, talking about football and the NFL draft. So we will be right back after this with some NFL draft talk. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. That was my favorite ad break of all time. I would buy every single product that you just heard, and I would also listen to every single show that advertised right there that you just heard about. Um, so you were in Vegas all weekend for the NFL draft. I, I feel I want to talk to I don't want to just do draft grades and like this guy was great, this guy was bad. What the hell were they doing? But I think from a college perspective, there are a couple things to just really talk about. The first one is that shock of all shocks, our defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, had 15 players selected in the seven rounds. That is a new record, breaking the one, I think it was 2004 Ohio State, and then 2019 LSU from a couple years ago of 14 players. Uh, How does Georgia recover from losing all those players? (laughs) Oh man, it's remarkable. The and the five first rounders mm-hmm. was also a record. Yep, would be remarkable. And then it, you add to it that it's all defensive players from the same mm-hmm. defense, which makes it even more absolutely insane. I mean, it kind of like, but I do wonder because, like, when you stack this up as the great, you know, is this one of the greatest defenses of all time? I don't like people using, well, they had the most players drafted from one defense. Cause I do think 
if you want to go that route, well, let's see how their NFL careers yeah. pan out. Like, let's see how that goes out. Because I do think similar to, to evaluating an Alabama quarterback, like Tua coming out, like, what do you do when the collective is so dominant? Because there are five guys that were drafted in the first round, like, does that help them all? Clearly it does in college, but does that hurt their potential maybe when they go to an NFL-style you know, system where it's much more balanced and you're not going to have that type of edge 10, 11 times a year? So I think that's interesting. But that number is just insane. And by the way, like, that's why – it is college football is talent acquisition. That's yep. why USC and everybody else is trying to acquire talent and giving bags and doing whatever they can because you can't honestly say Georgia built that roster just from relationships and doing a great job out in the recruiting trail. No, they've been buying players for a long time, and this is the culmination of it, which is why you've got boosters doing whatever it takes, and these numbers are driven up year after year. And it's Georgia goes with 15, which is not a shock for anybody that watched Georgia last year. And also not a shock is that for like the thousandth year in a row, the SEC led the way with 65 players being selected in the draft. Georgia had the most in the conference. Obviously, they had 15. LSU was the next highest with 10. Alabama had seven. So less than half of what Georgia had. Is Nick Saban on the hot seat? We'll find out. Um, second place was the Big Ten with 48. Pac-12 then with 25, Big 12, 25, ACC, 21, American, 19, Mountain West, 11, MAC, 6, Conference USA, 6, Sunbelt, 6, and then everybody else. But I think, you know, there's always – this goes to something you've talked about a lot with the SEC and just the way that they control the narrative. And once the draft completed, like, there was all the SEC honks out there talking about how, it once again, 65 players, more than anybody else, more than anybody else – but what you don't see, and this is where I think a huge gap, but like the SEC is clearly, as far as winning national titles, as far as producing NFL players, it's clearly the best conference in the country. We're not going to argue that. But like the Big Ten had 48 players finished in second. The Big Ten doesn't say a damn word about it. Big Ten's always finishing in second as far as most players. But more than anything that stands out is that the Big Ten had 48 for the second most. And as I said, the third most was the Pac-12 with 25. So the Big Ten, finishing in second, had nearly twice as many players drafted as the next highest Power Five conference. And if you do the math, there were, a, there were 262 draft picks over the seven rounds. 113 of the players drafted, 43.13%, were from the SEC and the Big Ten. Nearly half the players taken were from two conferences. So when we talk about the Power Five, like we have discussed this in recent weeks too, with just the way television deals are working and the Big Ten's got a new TV deal coming and the NIL and how this is going to impact and everybody's worried that the SEC and the Big Ten are just going to pull away. I feel like the SEC and the Big Ten have already pulled away and the gap is only getting wider because again, 43% of the players selected were Big Ten or SEC players. It's amazing, and it's concerning if you're an ACC fan, Pac-12 fan, Big 12 fan. I mean, for me, I've been looking at this disparity for a while now because it wasn't that long ago. Really, when Florida State was a little bit better, Louisville was a little bit better, Miami was a little bit better, even though it wasn't translating on the field, where the ACC was right there in like second place kind of neck and neck. Mm -hmm. You are seeing these two conferences, which, oh, by the way, have the richest TV contracts in mm -hmm. place now for some time. Like, all you have to do is follow the money, and we should have seen this coming. and now it's here, and until the other conferences figure out a way to get TV deals that can match, but at this point, I don't know if it even matters. Like, I think 
at this point, that's one of the reasons I'm sitting here saying, I think we're going to be in a new era sooner rather than later. But you're right. These two, these two conferences have pulled away and it's not really close. And I think it's amazing. You're, I think you bring up a great point because I was the Big Ten. It's almost like they feel like they can't talk because they're, they're too modest. They don't well, want to yeah. brag. We're, we're an academic. Our academics are more important to us than our athletics and what we achieve. But they can't. What, what would they say? Like they can't say, yay, we're number two. Because then they'll say everybody wants a trophy. You know, they'll have that one. But you they could should. say you could say we had 48 players drafted, nearly twice as many as yes. the next highest power five conference, aside from the SEC. Yes. But I think you make a great point. And I think they should try to be out there promoting that. But it is absolutely becoming the big two is really what we should be calling. And then it's the power three or you know, whatever you want to call them behind them. It is they are leaving the house uh, uh, as we speak. Also, I want to get in this so that way just fans have something to talk about because this is this is always good fodder. There were 10 Power 5 programs who did not have a single player selected in this year's draft. I will go through them in no particular order. Uh, number one was Vanderbilt, but that's why they hired Barton, so that's going yep. to be changing in the next few years. Number two is Northwestern, the only program in the Big Ten to not have a player drafted. Just that's... That's unfortunate. Arizona, my beloved Colorado Buffaloes, Duke, Louisville. That's kind of a surprise because Louisville's surprising. producing players. Syracuse, that's somewhat of a surprise because even if it's not like, you know, five, five or four players every year, they usually do send somebody. TCU, somewhat of a surprise considering what Gary Patterson had done, but also maybe an indicator of why Gary Patterson is no longer there. And then West Virginia. And finally, Texas. Didn't have a single player drafted. That is nuts. Yes. Especially if you go back and look at the recruiting classes that they've had, they should have players and they should have NFL caliber athletes in their program. And they have, but I think this speaks of two things. One, the very obvious, the player development has been an issue, but also the coaching turnover impacts that player development Mm -hmm. because not only from like the X's and O's standpoint, but a lot of times you get a new system put in place, a new, for very basic, a new strength conditioning coach. They're going to do things differently. It might be a setback. But a lot of times if there's new systems, you're asked to play a little bit different positionally, maybe technique turnover, and that impacts the player's development on the way there. So I think it's easy to troll Texas and it's like, haha, you guys didn't have any players. But I think there's those are a couple like very specific reasons of why they aren't, you know why yeah. they had zero players draft this year it's 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 just one of those mind-boggling things that you still completely understand but you just can't really wrap your mind around the fact that texas didn't have a single player taken in any of the seven zero. rounds but I, another fun fact though is if you look at the big 12 like oklahoma had the most with seven baylor had six iowa state had four including mr irrelevant brock purdy going with the final pick of the draft but cincinnati had nine players drafted which would have been more than any other team in the Big 12 this year. That's more than Oklahoma, who was leaving for the SEC. Houston had three players drafted, which is more than Texas Tech, Kansas State, or Kansas had, and as many as Oklahoma State had, more than West Virginia obviously had in TCU because they had nobody. So it's like things are going to change, obviously, because I Oklahoma is going to go back to having tons of players drafted. Texas is going to start having players drafted again in the future anyway, whether they're still in the Big 12 or the SEC. But I feel like if you are a Big 12 fan, there is some reason to be like, hey, okay, 
we're still going to be pretty much what we are, maybe based on how these other teams that we're bringing in are doing. Although I wouldn't expect Cincinnati to keep churning out nine players every single year. I think that just shows you that they didn't get to the playoff by accident. They had a right. pretty darn good football team, and Luke Fickle and that staff have done a very good job of developing those players and preparing them for the NFL, which is also why Luke Fickle is constantly going to be in demand. <laughs> you know what else helps, though? Season. And I like NFL scouts. GMs, talent evaluators, they have, I don't know if this is a flaw, but they find players that are on good teams. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't think it helped them as they're watching Alabama and they're watching that Cincinnati game. They're probably, they might have tuned in to watch Evan Neal and then they start watching it and they, that somebody else starts popping on that tape from Cincinnati mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, let's just make a little check mark there. And then they go to Cincinnati's Pro Day and they like, that's absolutely what happens all the time. Like if you're on a good football team, you'll get discovered, which I think a, a message that a lot of coaches I'd be preaching if I was a, a coach at a team. Hey, you want to get drafted? Let's make our team better. You become a good teammate. We start winning. You'll get discovered. I think that happens all the time. And especially when you're playing against other good teams, like, cause yeah. that, that's part of the metrics. Like when you're trying to evaluate a player that maybe plays at a smaller school like one of the, the difficulties is how do you project them when they're playing against guys that aren't very good guys who aren't even going to sniff NFL rosters, let alone sniff being draft picks. So like when you see Cincinnati going up against Georgia in the playoff last year, you see him going into the playoff this year against Alabama and you're looking at these guys you're like, all right, well, I just saw Ahmad Gardner kind of, you know, clamp this dude down. This guy I've got high on my board is like, you know, Jameson Williams, whoever, like he had a great game. My Jay Sanders, he was handling himself well against this Alabama offensive line, which is filled with guys I'm thinking of getting. So that definitely improves it. And that's part of the reason why you see so many SEC guys going every year and every Big Ten guy, because you feel safer in your evaluation because you know they're going up against other players that you're considering drafting at those spots too. So it's like you know they can hang. And that's really one of the ways that you can project them going forward. But uh, did you see uh did you see the Arthur Blank uh phone call with Desmond Ritter? No. They have like in it behind the scenes when you know all the coaching staff, and then they're like, here's you know, here's Mr. Blank, the owner. And he's like, Hey, Desmond, he's like He's like, I haven't met you yet, he said, but I was at the game in Notre Dame in South Bend when you beat him. He's like, I remembered that one, and that put us – you think there's any chance that Arthur Blank was going to go to a Cincinnati – he was going to watch Notre yes. Dame, yeah. saw Desmond Reader beat them in their backyard, and probably that was the first inkling that anybody in the Falcons thought they would draft uh, Desmond Ritter. Mm -hmm, for sure. I mean, hell, you never know. I mean, he does own the team. He might have had a say. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh I don't know. Well, we were going to talk about the biggest surprise of the draft, but I think we kind of touched on that a little bit at the head. But just kind of also going along with what we were talking about at the top of the show with NIL, with pay for play, one of the benefits of it is that you see the story, like Justin Ross a few years ago, one of the top players in college football, suffers some injuries. The whole draft goes over the weekend. Justin Ross's name is never called. As far as I know, he might have an agreement with somebody. It hasn't ended up been publicly announced. He hasn't signed with anybody. He's an undrafted free agent. That is definitely one of those players who would benefit from playing in an nil system and it's unfortunate for him that it was really by the time it took place was you know he was past it but uh that's gonna be an interesting thing to watch because i thought that even with the injury concerns somebody would take a shot on him like in the seventh round just because yeah. he is a very talented player so that sucks but uh we'll close the show with this because we haven't and really by the way uh he just signed with the kansas city chiefs today is Did a free agent which there we go if you're gonna get drafted seventh yes. round you're better off going undrafted so then you can select. So hopefully 
That to me says somebody made a good decision by choosing the best quarterback in the NFL right now for him to go play for. So that's a pretty good move for him. And, and thank goodness he did get an opportunity. And David Ajabo is another one who dropped. And I wonder, because we, we always want to use like the, the exploitation of the games and the meaningless bowl games. It, the Jabo thing, you can get hurt anytime. You can get hurt. Mm-hmm. And he was at a workout in shorts and a shirt doing his NFL pro day when he got hurt. But there has to be something in place. And I wonder if both of them, uh, have some sort of uh, loss, you know, clause in that insurance policy that they got. So hopefully they recoup some of that money. All right. So we're going to end here. We haven't really gotten hot takey yet today. So let's get hot takey. Bold prediction. A year ahead of time, who is the number one pick in the 2023 NFL draft? You know, it's interesting. I'll go ahead and I, I'll, well, I don't want to guarantee anything. It's no, going to be, I guarantee it. It's, it's going to be a Bama player. Guaranteed it's going to be a Bama player. So younger Anderson. Yeah, I do. And I think it depends on need of the team drafting, you know, like if it's Jacksonville again, mm-hmm. you know, are they going to, are they going to punt on Trevor at that point? Right. No. <laughs> so then they go get Will. Anderson. Like, I think it depends on the team that's drafting, but I, but then I also feel kind of firmly that the team that wants Bryce young will say, whatever it takes, we want the number one pick. We'll trade up for it to make sure we get him. But then there's Ohio State fans been pointing out, C.J. Stroud, he's coming out. He could be coming out too. But I still feel, although I don't know, I, I was, the size thing is a little bit concerning, but I still think what Bryce Young has done to this point, showcased out there, even without his two best weapons in the championship game, like to me, he's still, I think he's going to be the number one pick. You? I'm, I'm going to go Will Anderson. Yeah. I just think that I look at a lot of the teams I expect to suck in 2022 and a lot of them kind of already taken their qb in the future so i th- I feel like the team that ends up with the number one pick might not need a qb i think there's a good chance of that and i also think that kind of what you touched on like i think bryce young and cj stroud are exceptionally talented but i also think they're slight and i think that some nfl teams are going to be scared off by how small they are and they're going to somebody's going to want to go with the more sure thing of will anderson the guy who's going to be a disruptor for years to come in a premium position so i'm going to go anderson but it could be anderson it could be bryce Bryce Young, it could be C.J. Stroud. It could be somebody we haven't even thought of yet. That's the fun part of college football is guys emerge, players emerge, and careers start to happen. Because, like, who the hell would have said Trevon Walker would be the number one pick a year ago? Nobody. Nobody thought that two weeks ago. Let alone who would have said ago. Kenny Pickett would have been the first quarterback taken? <laughs> the only quarterback <laughs> taken for, like, three days. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a good place to wrap it up, Daniel. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you recover. Yep. from your four days in vegas anybody I mean, seen chip let us know <laughs> send chip write chip a letter just let him know you're thinking about him there in prison whichever one he's in we don't know they won't tell us uh and yeah we will be back on wednesday thank you for listening and uh we'll see you then okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.